This episode, like all episodes, is brought to you by our Patreon donors. So this time, we want to give thanks to Maximilian, Shape of Lobster, Becca, Mary, Imogen, Claire, Haley, Malin Waffle, Corey, Pete, Caitlin, and Cadence. And an extra special thanks to Karen, Christina, and Courtney. If Karen and Christina and Courtney were ice cream flavors, they would respectively be Butter Pecan, chocolate chip cookie dough and vanilla and no i know what you're thinking courtney it's not lame we are talking about the kind of vanilla ice cream that is so scrumptious that you remember why it's been the default flavor for 250 years because it really is that good thank you for being patrons you delicious frozen treats at the beginning of quarantine i joined a DD campaign and Nerd. I was playing. Yeah, you know what? Shut the fuck up. You've played far more D anD D than I have in in your this entire lifetime. Yeah, this is so, true. So, uh, glass houses, bitch. I played a tiefling bard named Boudica, the badass and bodacious. So I had to leave the campaign, and for my exit, I was possessed by a demon child, and then sent to a hell dimension. That was like the greatest exit stage left, pursued by a bear ever, as far as I'm concerned. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to resurrect one of my favorite lines from the Venture Brothers, which is, you're possessed by a forsaken child? (laughs) You are haunted by a haunted orphan heart? Anytime I need outerwear handed to me, I quote him in his immortal line, fetch me my blue windbreaker. Who wants pizza rolls um it really is like an instance of the absolute best like one joke character who it never gets old never gets old when you need some dough you don't know where to go in this patriarchal capitalist hellscape well here's the sitch we're gonna help you sis because bitches get a So can you? Anyway, so basically, I think all of our listeners should probably stop listening to this and go watch Venture Brothers. And you'll learn a lot about, I don't know about money so much as just failure in general. You'll learn everything you need to know about failure. Regardless, I'm Kitty. I'm Piggy. We are the bitches in Bitches Get Riches. We're a couple of terrifying banshees with leaves and twigs stuck in our voluminous hair. And we let forth a terrifying screech every time a man says, Well, actually, our time on this planet is limited. So let's get started. Today's letter comes to us from Patreon donor Zoe. Zoe asks, how do I stop feeling scared about money all the time? I'm objectively in a great financial situation. I'm 29. I've paid off all my student loans. Recently, I got a new job that pays me 30% more. I'm closing in on a one-year emergency fund, and I have both a 401k and IRA that I've been contributing to for years. Despite that, every time I hit a new financial milestone, the goalpost just moves. It went from, I'll feel less worried about money with a three-month emergency fund, to six months, to nine months, to 12 months, to 12 months assuming my expenses were higher than they currently are. Due to some recent implosions in my life and working remotely, I also have the opportunity to stay with my dad for a while. 
Even though I think I'll be much happier long-term in my own place, I can't silence the voice that says, save the rent money while you still can, and paying rent if you don't have to is stupid. I feel like a dragon compulsively trying to build a pile of gold that will never be enough. I never feel comfortable. I never feel secure. I'm hyper aware that one medical emergency could drain that emergency fund and put me right back where I started. I know this comes from childhood experiences where my family went from comfortably wealthy to LOL, what retirement fund, mainly due to bad money management. I know this is a privileged problem to have when so many people are in such bad financial situations, but it's a problem nonetheless. Since I've gotten my finances under control, I feel like I should be able to relax a little bit and leave things on autopilot and just enjoy being alive and able to pay my rent. But instead, I constantly feel anxious about money and I don't know how to break out of the cycle. Do you have any advice? You know, this is probably the first question that we got that my gut instinct was like, I must recuse myself from this case, Your (laughs) Honor, because it's a little bit too close to home for me right now. I definitely Mm. relate to these feelings quite a lot. See, I feel the opposite. I feel like as somebody who is so you know, clinically anxious that like, I literally got trapped in the closet when we started this recording and had to like yell and scream for my husband to come save me. (laughs) And he had to like jimmy the door open with a knife. Like panic is just constantly simmering, like just under the surface. (laughs) Listeners, do you know what we go through for you? We self-induce panic attacks by sitting in hot, dark closets. (laughs) Give us a dollar a month so I can replace the antique doorknobs in my fucking old ass house so that I don't get stuck in my hall closet recording studio. That's definitely our next business investment. No, I I'm somebody who constantly has anxiety simmering just below the surface. But recently, spoiler alert, I have like a new full time job and I'm making more money than ever before. And I have felt the financial anxiety sloughing away from me like I'm a snake, like shedding my second skin. And it's amazing. I think that's really interesting because to me, the causes of like anxiety and stress um, and that feeling of a lack of security are so complicated and they really vary by person to person. Totes. I think the obvious like first recommendation is sounds like therapy might be a Mm. really good idea. That said, that can be kind of a kind of a simplistic, even reductive answer because therapy is hard work and not everyone can afford it. Um, Not everyone has the kind of mental space that they need to do that hard work. There's a lot of barriers to being successful in therapy. So it's not just that. So I want to offer other things. I think for me, I really resonate with Zoe's question. And one of the things that's actually been helpful to me is kind of exploring the facets of my own personality outside of like a therapy setting. And one of my friends turned me on to the personality typing system of Enneagrams. Now, if you're not into like Enneagrams and you think they're kind of junk science, whatever, spoiler alert, it doesn't matter if it's junk science or not. All that matters is that it can give you a new perspective and new tools to think about yourself and your own behavior and how you relate to other people. And that's valuable in and of itself. It doesn't have to be like true for everyone. So she was kind of talking me through what my personality would be like as a, I would be a type eight in this system. And like she was describing me and I was like, yeah, yeah, that sounds like me. Like I'm not that interested, but sure. And my attention was not captured until she talked about what my core fear as this type would be. As a type eight, my core fear is being weak, 
being powerless and being harmed, controlled, made vulnerable, manipulated, and left at the mercy of injustice. Mm. So my core desire to protect myself from that core fear is to protect myself and those in my inner circle. And I do that, unfortunately, by seeking power, seeking control, being like weight inappropriately intense about everything and pushing <laughs> myself to to have as much control and power as I can so that I will never be in a position where I am so vulnerable that someone could hurt me when really all I want is to not be betrayed. So I think maybe if if kind of therapy isn't isn't in the cards for you right now or if other listeners who kind of like are vibing on this question are listening and it's not a, a good choice for them, I think like any work that you could do that would help get you in touch with what is the nature of this core fear of yours and following that fear through to its thread may kind of help you uncover what its real basis is. Asking yourself, what if like, okay, if I lose every red cent in my bank account and I lose my job, what do I do then? Like really ask yourself. And I think that's when you start to see, actually, I have more security than I have given myself credit for. I have a dad who will let me move in with him. I had the skills to get a new job recently, which means I still have those skills and that's still an option for me. I am a marketable, employable individual and I don't need to fret about this stuff. And hey, actually, how how much would it take to run through a 12 plus month emergency fund? Like that's massive. So I think kind of the, the root here is that like more money is never going to solve your anxieties about money because the more money you get, that money is power. That money is control over your life. And the more you have, the more power and control that you have. Um, but it also is ramping up your anxieties about losing that control. It's getting higher and higher stakes the more money that you have. So I think the right thing to do here is not to seek more money. You are doing just <laughs> fine. And it sounds like intellectually, you know it. It's just that you've got to work through the emotional part of it. Totally. I There's so much emotion involved in money management um, and in personal finances. Like that's why we call it personal finance because it's personal and i think that that this is zoe is absolutely right to be thinking of this as like a a an emotional problem rather than a money-based problem i want to like talk about a little bit of like some more of the concrete things that zoe can do um so she talks about how in her childhood her family went from comfortably wealthy to quote unquote lol yes. what retirement fund yeah mm -hmm. um due to bad money management um and that's like that is some you know deep-seated childhood trauma that again like we recommend therapy for <laughs> um we are not psychiatric professionals but like we respect those individuals quite a bit and and what they can do to really drill down to the, the you know the meat of problems like this but what i'm seeing a lot of in this question from zoe is a lack of a data and b goals so this dataless goallessness that Zoe has, I think, is fueling some of that anxiety. And if I can, you know, loop this back to my personal experience, you know, I spent a good portion of my teens and early 20s being blissfully ignorant about money in a way that was hiding. It, it was avoidance, frankly. 
You know, I didn't know the worth of a car or a home or an education. And I didn't know those things because to know those things was to take responsibility for those things. And responsibility is fucking scary. What sort of helped me through that time was gaining the data to understand the value of money and the value of the things I wanted in my life and be like, knowing what I wanted in life, like figuring out what my goals were, what I wanted to get out of money. So I really recommend for Zoe, like, you know, you're hoarding all this money like a dragon in your own words, figure out the why, you know, maybe it's, oh, well, someday I want to start my own business or someday, like I want to um, retire early or just own my own home or like live a debt free life, like having a concrete goal to shoot for And then a goal after that for like what's next and a goal after that for what's next. Mapping out your life and financial goals, that can be really encouraging and relaxing just to know, you know, what's what what it all means and and what you're all heading for. I suspect that overall her her lack of awareness about what her long term goals are is a big component in her anxiety about how much money she needs. If she doesn't know what she wants to do with her life, then no amount of money is going to like lead her to those answers. Take the mental exercise of like thinking about what comes next, like do it again and again and again. And like, you know, what you might want today, what your money you're, you're saving for today might not be what you're saving for tomorrow, might not be like a motivating factor for you tomorrow. Constantly reevaluate that shit. And keep in mind, like, once you reach a financial goal, you need to have a next one. You need to constantly yeah. be looking forward. Zoe sounds like someone who would really be comforted by a plan and by, you know, going through these mental exercises of figuring out what she wants, what's going to make her happy, and how she can operate financially to get there. Yeah, I mean, it's almost a cliche to say that, like, mo many more problems, like, obviously, there are Mm -hmm. a lot of problems that can be solved by money. But money past a certain point, cannot buy you happiness. It can buy a reduction Mm -hmm. in the number and the quality of things that stress you out. But if you don't know what brings you personal enjoyment and you don't have the courage to seek those things out, having money will not make that manifest. Again, like I have a new job. I'm making a very comfortable income that like has reduced a lot of my stress. One of my goals is to be more environmentally friendly, right? I have the emergency funds saved so that I can go out and buy an energy star rated refrigerator. That's great. What my money can't do for me is give me more time. And as someone who has a full-time job plus an independent business plus bitchesgetriches.com. Maybe you've heard of it. Time is at a premium for me. There is nothing that all of my money can do to buy me more time past a certain level. You know, we we just hired a community manager and podcast editor, Hello Ducky, to help us with Bitches Get Riches to, you know, lessen the amount of administration work that we're doing here. And that's great. But it doesn't completely put time back into my day. So again, like you're absolutely right. Money frees you from some levels of anxiety, but it can't free you from all. Basically, I think what Zoe is describing is kind of the beginning of an addiction. It's not a full-blown addiction yet, but I think there could be models of thinking about addictions that might be helpful to her because one of the key benchmarks there is is the use of this substance or is the following of this behavior 
harming your enjoyment of life? Is it hurting your relationship with the people in your life? Is it making you fall behind on important tasks that you have to get done, damaging your daily quality of life? And it sounds like maybe it hasn't yet, maybe outside of your own sense of well-being, but I certainly see how it could be. When she mentions that she has this offer to live with her father and she knows that she doesn't want to do it, but she might do it anyway, basically, sorry, Zoe, out of out of cheapness, out of fear, because she, she wants to keep mm-hmm. that extra money to give her the greater sense of security. I can easily see how that is setting Zoe up to start to damage that relationship with her father, because if she takes him up on this offer only driven by her fears of losing money, I can see that becoming a a point of contention where it starts to erode the relationship that you have as father and daughter in a way that I think then is starting to meander into a really um, harmful territory. Totally. So thinking about it in that kind of model might be kind of helpful to her. Yeah, it's really dark to bring up addiction here, but like addiction to money is a thing. Yeah. Just real quick. I want to bring up like one last concrete thing that Zoe can do to kind of break this cycle for herself, which is to give money away. (laughs) Like find a charitable cause that you support and just like experiment with giving a lump sum away. Maybe it's $10. Maybe it's $100. And like, see how that feels for you. It feels good to do good. Like this is not a completely like selfless practice, but it is something that like could release you from a little bit of that fear and anxiety and do some good while you're at it. I love that. And it's so noble and pure. I'm going to offer the the gutter option as well, which is give yourself a budget and tell yourself, I must go out and spend this money frivolously on myself, doing things that bring no benefit to anyone other than myself. Because I think sometimes, especially, I'm going to say especially for women, we tend to be trained to think if we spend money on others, it's fine, it's good. But if we spend on ourselves, it's bad and evil. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. you know what, Zoe? What if you took a scary amount of your money like an amount that makes you uncomfortable. What if you took like $500 and I said, you have to go out and spend $500 buying crap that makes you happy or pursuing experiences that make you happy, doing things that you have told yourself, I don't have enough money to do this frivolous thing. Get your eyebrows threaded. I don't even know what that means. Get, them get your eyebrows. Like what They're even is do that? It so but much do better it. than you do. My guess is that you're going to panic when you're thinking about doing it, when you're planning doing it. And then when you're actually doing it or enjoying the 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 dumb thing that you bought afterwards, I bet you'll go, "Wow, you know, I'm surprised by how happy I feel enjoying this thing that I bought for myself or eating this fine meal that could have cost 10 times less, but I decided, hey, I'm I'm going to live while I'm alive. And that kind of challenge, I think, will help you kind of reprogram this, this part of your brain that has learned, unfortunately, through, it sounds like childhood trauma, that financial instability means happiness is going away forever, love is going away forever, security is going away forever. And really, it's not like money does come and go. And the more you can learn to think about it as what it is, a tool, 
the better you're going to be able to use it because I guarantee you're also not investing or using your money very wisely if you have this hoarding mentality. I have a feeling I could take a red pen to your investment strategy. (laughs) All right. Are you good with that? I'm good with that. Listeners, if you want us to answer your questions, go to bitchesgetriches.com and click Ask the Bitches. Production of this podcast is directly tied to our total number of Patreon supporters. So if you want to hear more, join our Patreon at patreon.com slash bitchesgetriches. And if you need even more of us in your life and who can blame you, you can read our articles or follow us on social media at bitchesgetriches.com. Hey, is there anything else they should know? Yeah, I want to tell you what my favorite episode of television is of all time. I want to hear this. This was a tough call, Mm -hmm. but I think it's who pooped the bed from (laughs) it's always sunny in Philadelphia. (laughs) It is a murder mystery bottle episode to determine who Who pooped the bed, pooped in the bed. And (laughs) the answer may surprise you. Good to know. Bitches Bitches out! out.